Welcome to the Zoo Taxi Podcast, a series of conversations that center a unique LGBTQA voice in such areas as science, religion, culture, poetry, and current events. My name is Don Stouter, and I'll be your host for these explorations and sermons and editorials and essays. For the record, the name Zoo Taxi comes from a license plate I saw one day driving through the California high desert. I hope you'll consider supporting this podcast with a contribution, which you can make by going to anchor.fm slash zootaxi. Just by way of context, I'm a writer and photographer and a healthcare chaplain, having worked in healthcare for nearly 45 years, first as an EMT medic and then as a hospital chaplain. I'm also a researcher and theologian and social scientist in areas like bioethics, and one of the reasons for producing this podcast is to give me an opportunity to start conversations around the many things that interest me and about the uniqueness of my experience in these various roles, as well as to center the LGBTQA experience throughout these little explorations. So that's my short story. I hope you'll take the opportunity to tell me your story by leaving me a voice message at anchor.fm slash zootaxi. As long as you don't use dirty words, I promise I'll put you on the air. For more on me personally, you can check out my website at Donald Stouder, D-O-N-A-L-D-S-T-O-U-D-E-R, all one word, donaldstouder.com. Well, welcome to uh, uh, episode three of our little uh, our little podcast, The Zoo Taxi. It's uh, nice to be with you today and nice to uh, uh, share some words from a sermon I was able to give this past Mother's Day, May 10th, uh, 2020. The name of the sermon is Mother's Day, Mother Earth, and Healing the COVID. And of course, as I sit here and uh, have this conversation with you today, it's a day when um, uh, we're starting to reopen the world a little bit after, uh, uh, after being closed for two, two and a half months with a pandemic. It's also a week of, uh, of real... Um, um, a scary disruption around the country with riots uh, related to several incidents of police brutality. So it's a it's kind of a weird time. And and when I brought this sermon uh, uh, to church, I really wanted to give people uh, uh, some sort of a framework to perhaps try and understand what was happening all around us. I started off by talking about Julia Ward Howe, who was an American poet and author uh, known for writing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And she also wrote the original 1870 pacifist Mother's Day proclamation. There was no Mother's Day prior to that. <clears throat> she was also a Unitarian Universalist. And when she first advocated for Mother's Day for Peace in 1872, I can't imagine she could have predicted just how complicated motherhood would ultimately become. Although, as you can tell from her proposed title, she was never exactly proposing a day about motherhood. Hers was a progressive call for women to unite for peace. On the other hand, <clears throat> excuse me, on the other hand, maybe motherhood in real life has always been this complicated. Maybe it's always brought up intense, often contradictory feelings in most of us, whether we're mothers or have mothers or are partnered with mothers or all or none of the above. Just for example, in the small virtual gathering that I originally shared the sermon in, there were people who were grateful to the mothers who had cared for them and who still care for them. There are also those who 
came grieving for mothers who had died or grieving the mother they never had, the relationship that they longed for. <clears throat> Some of them themselves were mothers in the thick of raising children and they came with their worries. Even if their kids are grown, they still come with worries. Worries if you've done enough and done it well enough or if you ever are enough. And of course, I'll throw in a little spoiler alert here. Yes, of course, they were always good enough. <clears throat> Some dreaded another mention of motherhood. Maybe they'd struggled with infertility or they were carrying grief after a pregnancy loss or the loss of a child. Or maybe they had simply chosen not to parent and wished our culture would stop lifting up parenthood as the ideal. Almost all of us that day came with a mixture of all of these feelings. As a single parent, when I adopted my son, I struggled with the gendered nature of both Mother's and Father's Day. <clears throat> the big joke for years was that my son would send me both Mother's Day and Father's Day cards. Sometimes I felt like the mom, sometimes the dad, but most of the time I don't even know what I mean by those claims. I just feel like a parent. I wish we could just call it Parents' Day. Embedded in many of our complicated feelings around motherhood is the cultural myth of the ideal mother. Located primarily in white, middle-class, female identity, this myth gained traction in the 19th century, when, as New Yorker writer Elizabeth Weiss observes, mothers were expected to form intense emotional bonds with their children and to oversee their physical and moral development. The ideal mother knows just what to do to care for her kids, and she does it perfectly. By the 20th century, the ideal mother was cautioned not to overdo it, however, or risk permanently dependent children. Of course, the Hallmark card and now television channel business model are built on us buying into this myth. And a lot of the time we do, because on its surface, it feels like praise for the often unseen, unrecognized, and relentless work of motherhood. It feels like a way to acknowledge our gratitude or our longing for someone who loves us no matter what, who knows just the right thing to say or do, and who says or does just that. However, regardless of the particulars of your complicated relationship to motherhood, the ideal mother myth doesn't actually serve us. Instead, it keeps mothers divided from non-mothers it devalues the parenting role of non-women, devalues the community who circle around the official parents. It sets up standards impossible to live up to, and it creates a cycle of shame and guilt that impacts the whole family system, making it highly unlikely that any of us will seek or get help when we need it. On the whole, it creates an unsustainable, imbalanced system for individuals, for families, and for our world. The ideal mother is anything but. Which brings me to the whole reason for this conversation we're having together today. The idea of Mother Earth can be traced in a few different ways, including through Native American traditions. For example, the words attributed to Chief Seattle in the Unitarian Universalist hymnal from a speech he gave in the mid-19th century. Will you teach your children what we have taught our children, that the Earth is our mother? Now, it turns out that this speech was more likely written by a Hollywood screenwriter in the 1970s than by Chief Seattle himself. But we can verify that other tribes drew on the Mother Earth metaphor. For example, the Algonquin tribe 
claimed a strong oral tradition of the Earth Mother or Grandmother. <clears throat> this indigenous perspective sees all of life as deeply related, called to a responsibility of mutual care. Humans and the Earth are in the same family, just as with all of life, and as the Incans hinted at, in the same family as the whole universe. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network. And welcome back. We're talking about uh, uh, Mother Earth and Mother's Day and all the ideas that go around that. And we were just chatting about uh, uh, the Native American um, uh, oral tradition of the Earth Mother or Grandmother and, and sort of this whole Mother Earth metaphor. It turns out the ancient Greeks also spoke of this personification of the Earth in the great goddess Gaia, the great mother of all, creator and giver of birth to the Earth and all the universe. <clears throat> Today we see this myth play out in the Gaia hypothesis, the idea that the Earth is a self-regulating system. While it turns out that this hypo hypothesis doesn't make great science, it can be a very powerful metaphor to consider the Earth as a whole system rather than as a bunch of separate individual parts. In this time we're living in, a time of pandemic, it turns out, I think it's also worthwhile to stop and ask ourselves the obvious question. Is this new coronavirus yet another way for Mother Earth to make a course correction? Perhaps even more influential than these ancient traditions, however, is the impact of the Age of Enlightenment on this idea of Mother Earth, especially for our religious tradition, Unitarian Universalism, which has been so Enlightenment impacted. <clears throat> which is to say a lot of us have taken to heart the whole I think, therefore I am. That is the foundation of Enlightenment philosophy. I am my brain, you are your brain. My very personhood is like brain, brain, brain. And all our brains constitute entirely separate individuals, separate from our bodies, separate from each other, and separate from the natural world. To help make sense of all these separate entities, the Enlightenment associated masculinity with this big brain, the self, and femininity with the body and with nature or the other. There's a lot to say and more nuance in all of this, but for today, let me just summarize that in the Enlightenment, Mother Earth became a way to do the exact opposite of what the ancient traditions were trying to teach. The Enlightenment's concept of Mother Earth reduced our relatedness, reduced our sense of mutual obligation, and instead inserted a natural hierarchy where men were separate and above the messy, uncivilized, embodied, feminine, natural world. Of course, we live with the consequences of this Enlightenment-based take on our relationship with the Earth. <clears throat> However, I worry less about us colluding with this paradigm than I do with how our contemporary understanding of motherhood influences the ways we understand our relationship to the Earth when we think of it as our mother. I mean, if we subconsciously buy into the idealization of mothers as hyper-responsible, supreme caretakers, always happy, capable of handling anything we throw at them, supreme beings, then maybe we are this ideal mother's children, happily dependent and trusting our mother to provide, no matter what waste we throw at her, 
or the resources we use or the practices we engage in, she, our ideal mother, has it handled. Of course, this means not only that this myth is unsustainable for us in the most intimate sense of our families, but also in the widest possible sense of our interrelatedness as one human family. Our ideal Mother Earth is sick right now, but the question is, what if she thinks that humans are the virus? And COVID-19, as well as the many pandemics that have come before, are her way of activating her immune system. There's some visual evidence for this as we see our air become cleaner and our water become clearer since shelter-in-place orders were put into effect. We need a new myth, a new story. Actually, we need multiple stories. We need a new way to talk about motherhood that allows for many things to be true all at once. We need to be able to talk about the ways that many of us play the part of mother in ways unrelated to our gender or our official parenting status. And we need to make space for all the ways that motherhood shows up in us and in our lives. Space for the caring mother, the harried mother, the anxious mother, the wise mother, the responsible mother, lonely mother, mother who doesn't want to be a mother, the longing of one to be a mother, the mother who shares parenting with many others, the joyous mother, the clueless mother, the cool mother, the mother who hopes and who dreams, and the aging mother whose children now care for her. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Podcast Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Don Stouter, and this is uh, Zoo Taxi broadcasting on the Anchor Podcast Network. And we're just talking about uh, Mother's Day and Mother Earth and uh, a sermon I gave uh, on Mother's Day to, uh, to mark that occasion. And, and right now we've been talking about uh, this expansive story um, uh, about motherhood and the need to make space for all the ways that motherhood shows up in us and in our lives. Applying this expansive story to Mother Earth, we might imagine that the Earth is both our mother and we are the Earth's mother. That we, the Earth, is both providing for us just as we are providing for the Earth. We might imagine that we're co-creating one another, co-caring for each other all the time. Understanding our relationship to the Earth and to one another in this way, we begin to undo the divisions of the Enlightenment and instead live into our Unitarian Universalist theological proposition that all of life is one. All of it. Buddhist teacher Joanna Macy calls this reframing, the work that reconnects. In her book, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy, Macy encourages us to frame our engagement with the earth as a practice of making and keeping connection with ourselves, others, and the whole world. Again, actively affirming our proposition that all life is one. Macy's first step is to come from gratitude. She says, gratitude breeds trust because it helps us acknowledge the time we've been able to count on one another. The stance of gratitude is a refreshing alternative to guilt or fear as a source of motivation. The second step is to move into compassion and to honor our pain for our world. Often we compartmentalize our grief we have to in order to function. 
allowing ourselves to feel our longing and despair, however, to be compassionate for the world beyond ourselves, we access our motivation to bring about change and healing. As Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh puts it, our work on this step is to hear within us the sounds of the earth crying. Macy's third step responds to this pain by asking us to see ourselves with new eyes. First, we see ourselves not as separate individuals, but as part of a great interconnected whole. And second, we see ourselves not as static beings, but as part of a great becoming. Both of these concepts, our connectedness and our personal evolution, are deeply Unitarian Universalist ideas. And they allow us to remember that as we change, the world changes. Finally, grounded in the three prior steps of gratitude, compassion, and evolving interconnectedness, we're called to act. From this framework, we're free to act without attachment to the outcome because we're acting from our sense of relationship and mutual care. As with motherhood, we start to realize how little we can control the end result, and yet how little that influences our need and our capacity to act. Nearly 150 years later, Julia Ward Howe is still calling to us her great unanswered plea. Arise all who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. Let us take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can finally live in peace. And as I share uh, uh, those last words uh, of my sermon that I gave uh, uh, back on Mother's Day, it's June 1st and I'm, uh, I'm recording this uh, broadcast in Palm Springs and uh, our county officials have, uh, have ordered a lockdown, a curfew for six o'clock tonight because in the wake of all the things that have happened as as a result of um, of, uh, of of black lives matter movement hashtag black lives matter and all those brave brave people uh, uh, standing up and and finally saying no there's also been some violent conflicts and the folks here in our county are worried that those might be on their way to us this evening and so uh, as I finish this little sermon, my prayer is that, uh, is that black lives will matter and, uh, uh, and that everyone who is protesting today will be safe. And with that, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Zoo Taxi on the Anchor Broadcast Network. So welcome back to the show. Um, uh, one of our little traditions here uh, at the end of our broadcast is to share poetry, similar to the way that uh, CBS used to end their Sunday morning program with a long meditative clip of something in nature. We end each of our episodes with an inspiring poet or poem. And today I've picked uh, a funny poem by Billy Collins, and it's called Introduction to Poetry. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide, or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch them probe 
his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. So that's our show for episode three. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website at anchor.fm slash zootaxi, where you can make a contribution to help support the show or leave me an audio comment to play on the air. I'm also searchable on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I tend to use social media as a blog, as well as a forum to share my photography, which I hope you enjoy. So till next time, I'm Don Stouter, and this is Zootaxi hosted by the Anchor Podcast Network. Be kind, be generous, forgive everyone, and love your neighbor. No exceptions. Mm -hmm.